0: Our scripture passage this morning, as we continue in John chapter 1, is verses 6 through 8. I would, however, like us to read, or me to read to you, uh, the beginning at verse 1 through verse 9. And uh, you can just listen along if you don't have a copy of your own Bible, um, but it will be familiar to many of you. But we will focus the uh, the message on verses 6 through 8, but it's important we set it within the larger context. Uh, Framework of this passage, let me just take this opportunity to make this encouragement to you. Perhaps it would be a good new practice, perhaps for some of you, to bring your own copy of God's Word, since we no longer provide uh, Bibles in the pews for obvious reasons, so that as the sermon goes along, you can follow along and, and flip back and forth to patch- passages that we might uh, reference. So just an encouragement to you. But this is God's Word, John 1, beginning at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. To bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. True light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Let's pray together. Father, there's so much darkness in the world, uh, so much brokenness and sin, and in this season we celebrate that the light has come. And he will come again to make all things fully new. And yet until that day, while we have a partial foretaste of the newness of life that you have offered in the gospel, we thank you for it. And we thank you for your word and for your sacraments, which continually nourish us Sunday by Sunday so that we might have our faith strengthened in the Lord Jesus Christ, that our assurances would be emboldened and that we would remember that we are deeply and eternally loved through Jesus Christ. And that this might motivate us, Lord, to be your witnesses in the world and to worship you. So come to us now by your word and feed your church for we come hungry and you promise that when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we will be filled. So fill us today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the reason I wanted to read a little larger passage than was printed in your bulletin today is simply because the verses that are set before us seem to be awkwardly placed. I wonder why the Apostle John, in the middle of this beautiful and grand discussion about the Word of God the divine word of God in Jesus Christ, would interrupt his flow of thought and begin talking about John the Baptist. Why not wait till later and finish and conclude the thoughts that he has about Jesus? Verse 5 before our passage says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Then the interruption of verses 6 through 8, at least apparently so, and then verse 9, he picks up his, his uh, uh, argument. He says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So why interrupt a clear flow of thought about the Lord Jesus Christ and begin to focus on John the Baptist? These verses seem to be wedged in here in an awkward manner. So I believe, and we'll understand throughout the course of this message, that John places this here, that is the gospel writer John, places John the Baptist right here to make it very clear at the outset that God's way of letting the light of Christ shine in the dark world is through human witness, is through human agency. And we see this principally in John the Baptist. We'll look at him in three different ways. First, we'll look at the man. Then we'll take a look at his mission. And then we'll grasp his motivation for his mission. The text begins, there was a man sent from God. I don't know about you, but that has always struck me as an awkward way to put it. Very odd. There was a man sent from God. Very formal. Why why do we need to tell... Why does John feel the need to tell us that this is a man sent from God? Well, I believe this also helps us understand why John put this here in the middle of this wonderful passage about Christ. Because as you read the pages of the Gospels, you'll discover that early on in Jesus's ministry, and even early on in the, in, the, in the church's birth, there were some of John the Baptist's disciples that misunderstood him to be the Christ. Luke chapter 3 verse 15 tells us that many of John the Baptist's disciples were wondering whether or not this John was the Christ. John 1 20, We're told that the Pharisees came to John the Baptist and said, are you the Christ? Who are you in this peculiar ministry of preaching a kingdom at hand and preaching the baptism of repentance? Are you the Christ? And at that point, John the Baptist again strenuously confessed that he was not the Christ. Then as you come to Acts chapter 18, as late as Acts chapter 19, excuse me, we find the Apostle Paul arrives in Ephesus And that there were people there that only had been baptized according to John's baptism. They only experienced water baptism, but had not yet received the Holy Spirit. Because they had not yet heard of Christ, the true Messiah. And they needed to be baptized in Christ's name, and therefore be baptized according to the Holy Spirit. And then when you consider that John makes a point to say, John the Baptist is a man, it causes us to pause and to see how different he is than the one who was just described in the first five verses as the divine, eternal Logos, God himself, who was with God in the beginning, who was and is God and always will be God. In comparison to that one who is the Christ, who is the light of the world, we have this John, the Baptist, who's a mere man. He's mortal. As devoted as he was to his ministry, As sincere and earnest as he was in his faith towards God, as faithful of a prophet he was to proclaim and herald the coming of the Messiah in Jesus Christ, he was still a man. He was flawed, he was sinful, he had weaknesses. And what this tells us is that God chooses to use mere mortals, men and women boys and girls even, just like you and just like me, to herald his message, to proclaim his message, to to witness to the Messiah. But mere mortals, God has chosen and purposed to use. He could have done it another way. He could have spoke from heaven. There are thousand ways that God could have done it but in order for this light to shine in this dark world he's used using and has used from the beginning human agency so John is simply a man but a man on a mission and that's what we come to next his mission was not his own we're told here he was sent from God and later on in verse 8 that he came from God This sent from God is an indicator that he didn't devise his own mission. This wasn't his plan. This was God's mission. And he was sent out on God's plan to declare what God wanted him to declare. Jesus Christ came as God, and John the Baptist came from God. He was sent, in fact. And that word sent is a a technical word that indicates that he is commissioned by one who has authority, And the one who is commissioned bears the authority of the one who commissioned him. So while John was only a man and a mere mortal, he was a man with a very important mission. And his mission was this, to witness, to testify to the light of Christ. This word for witness or testify is drawn from the courtroom, of course. If you're an attorney and you want to put someone on the witness stand, who do you place on the witness stand? You place someone who's competent, someone who is reliable and credible, someone who has seen things and witnessed things and experienced things. And God sets John the Baptist on the cusp of the kingdom of God coming in at this place in redemptive history, as it were, on the witness stand. And he testifies that he's not the Christ, but this one who comes after me is before me, John says. He is the Christ. I am unworthy to untie his sandals. He must increase and I must decrease. He is the son of God, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. All of that is what John the Baptist testified to in his earthly ministry. He testifies to what he has heard, what he has saw, what he has experienced, and he's experienced that this is the Messiah. He sent him to bear, to bear witness about the light. Three times here he uses the word witness and three time, times he uses the word light. And John's point here, that is the John who wrote this book, is to make it clear That John the Baptist isn't the light, he's simply the lamp, if you will. The lamp isn't the light, but the lamp is the agency that creates the light. Think of it this way John testifies to Christ like the moon testifies to the sunlight, right? There's no light on the moon, it only lights up as it reflects the greater light of the sun. And so, too, here, John, as it were, is a witness, a reflector. He's not the light, but he's the one from whom the light bounces off and shows that it is Christ. He serves as a witness to the light. I think it's an appropriate thing to pause here, time to pause here, and to consider that we too are called, just like John the Baptist, to witness to Christ's light and life-giving gospel, to testify to the truth that Jesus still saves sinners, that he brought me from death to life I once was in darkness and lost in my sin, hopeless, condemned. And the light of God's gospel in Christ, because someone testified to its veracity, someone testified to its uh, historical reliability, and the spirit of God testified in my heart that this one is the Christ. I no longer remain in darkness, but I'm in light. And if you're a believer... It is the same for you. And you are now called to testify and to witness to that light. John the Baptist certainly served a unique role in the unfolding of God's redemptive history. But God's redemptive history, in one sense, is not over. He's still saving people through the agency, through the ministry, through the witness and proclamation of humans just like you, and just like me, with all of our fears in doing so, all of our failures in doing so, all of our weaknesses and insecurities in doing so, he still uses us to testify to this dark world that light has dawned. We are no less commissioned than John the Baptist. That's what Jesus says in Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I commanded you and lo, I am with you always till the end of the age. It might feel like it's the end of the age, but the end of the age hasn't come yet. So there's still work to be done. We're still in this ministry of being commissioned to witness to Christ. There's no more exhilarating way to live than for a greater everlasting kingdom that you already belong to, and inviting others, calling others, exhorting others, of course wisely and winsomely, of course carefully and gently, but boldly and courageously. We're in the middle of 20, we're at the end of 2020. It's been a terrible year. Give up your fear of man. May God renew in each of us such a conviction that the truths of the gospel that you come to hear every week here are so fortified in your soul and in your witness that you can't help but talk about Christ with not a care in the world what they'll think of you or a fear that you won't know what to say. He told us that his spirit will help us. What greater time do we have in a, t- in a time when people are asking questions that they've never asked before? They're thinking about things eternal, things significant. They're looking and scrounging around for hope anywhere they can find it, and we're the ones who have that hope within us. May God give us strength and courage to winsomely and wisely proclaim this gospel, testify and witness to the veracity of our Christ. I hope you have at least, at least one unbeliever in your life that you would consider a friend, maybe a family member. If you do not, you need to fix that problem this week. That means you're in church far too often. Okay? All of us should have friendships with unbelievers. And I want to challenge you today as I'll challenge myself. Think about right at this moment one or two or three, your list can be as long as you want. Non-Christian friends that you're gonna to commit to intentionally start praying for, for their salvation, even if you've witnessed to them over and over and over, or maybe you never have. And pray for yourself that you would find those windows that of course God is going to open up, that you will go winsomely and boldly to share Christ, to actually open your mouth and declare the gospel. How will they hear without a preacher? You might be the only preacher an unbeliever, might listen to. They may never come here and listen to me. In fact, probably many of them won't, but they might listen to you as we courageously open our mouth and witness to Christ. The pollsters out there, as I've said in weeks past, aren't painting a very, bright picture for the future of the church, at least in America. There some statistics say that after all this is done, whenever it's done, that we'll probably be down 30% because people have realized that, in fact, they didn't need Christ. May we at Fourth Church as a body, as a church, and may we, the members of Fourth Church, be so bold and, and courageous, daring in our witness That we buck those statistics and we don't see a remnant return. We see a revival. We see people that are coming and wanting to hear about the hope that lies within us because they see the light in your eyes, the hope in your step, the joy in the midst of 2020. That you serve the one who is the light of the world. I mentioned our third point was motivation. I don't know any greater motivation than that. And what's his motivation here? That the light, to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. That's why John's doing this. Would you join me, join us in praying that more people would come to saving faith in Jesus Christ through the ministry and witness of each of you and through the ministry and witness of this church? Sometimes I find myself being surprised when someone comes to Christ. So, Well, why? Why would we be? And may God give us help to increasingly participate in the ministry that he charged us with, commissioned us to go and engage in, to bring the light of the world to this dark world. May we grow as a church to become increasingly outwardly facing, in our witness, and may God add to our number daily those who are being saved, all for his glory and through our witness. Let's pray. Father, we pray that people, many people, from all walks of life, from all nations, tribes, tongues, and ethnicities, from all socioeconomic backgrounds, all cultures, would come in increasing measure in their hopelessness in their lostness, and would they be found by your sovereign electing, redeeming hand. And you have chosen us as instruments, each of us in unique places, and unique ways, with specific and particular relationships. Father, use us like you've never used us before so that we would receive no glory, but we would simply be reflectors of the light, our Lord Jesus Christ. Come powerfully, we pray, Lord Jesus. And by your Spirit, stir a renewed zeal in us, the same heart you have for the lost. Would you give that to us? And would you see that even as we scatter seed, that you would see much fruit produced. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.